ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Sports Inventory. We're back and better than ever with your host, Ben Kuchapudi and Ty, the Iceman Graham. Benjamin, how are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing amazing on this day, actually. It's been a minute since we've recorded. We've all been busy with our schedules, but I'm glad to be back better than ever. And we're really starting it at the best time. So let's just jump right into it. Tyler, the national championship game, Georgia Bulldogs, absolutely bulldog TCU. What are your initial thoughts of this game? They don't call them the Bulldogs for nothing. They dogged them, Benjamin. Let's be real. I like TCU. I like their story. They shouldn't, you know, it's like the team that shouldn't have been here. But I do agree with the aforementioned statement. I think the SEC is a super sect of football. It's just those guys all deserve to be in the playoffs. And having a TCU go this this length, it just shows the discrepancy and the difference in talent regarding college football. We all know what conference rules college football and having a final that had a final score of 65 to 7 and Stenson, the old man Bennett getting pulled early having what was it four touchdowns 300 something Six yards. Six total touchdowns. Oh my for Stenson gosh. Bennett. It 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 TCU I felt bad watching that game and I know every American viewer turned the television off of the second quarter. It's just it's unbelievable and Good on Georgia State for going back-to-back, but I know Nick Saban got something up his sleeve, and he's going to come back better than ever. But Georgia, I did like this team, but I didn't want them to win. I'm not a big Georgia fan myself. But uh, I do know one thing, though, that I think college football playoffs should be revamped to some way, shape, or form. It's going to be revamped in the future. They're going to... I think they're changing it to the 12-team format soon. I don't know when it's going to be, but that's going to be a lot more interesting. And one more note on this game... This was a 10-7 to game in the first quarter. Yeah. And Georgia's turned it on. Stetson Bennett, you know, 25 years young. He uh, led that team to victory, and he's had one of the best stories in um, in college football. Um, walk on Georgia, played Juco. Now he has two national titles under his belt. And TCU, this was a great story for them. Unranked. They um, upset Michigan in the playoffs, 13-1. and But Georgia... Just the best team in football. Offense is unstoppable, and we know Georgia's defense. One of the best. They're going to have multiple first-rounders this year. And this is just an absolute dominant performance by Georgia, who's really looking... It looks like Kirby Smart is really building the next college dynasty here. Yeah, which is uh, a very difficult feat to have, knowing that you have the Nick Sabans and the other great programs in this world that can compete, but trying to just birth this nice dynasty here. Good on him, good on Georgia, and I know everybody's hating on Stenson Bennett's age for whatever reason, but his story is going to go down as one of the better stories in college football. Obviously, like you mentioned, Ben, you know, going to college in Georgia, giving up his seat, going to Juco, believing in himself, being a hometown hero. Bottom line, he's going to have free wings for the rest of his life if he lives in Georgia, let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. And this is the story behind Stenson Bennett is great. And honestly, this may have solidi- like solidified him into being one of, uh, and I wouldn't say a first-round pick just because of age, but he- he's going to get drafted, I think. No, absolutely. I think the age thing is obviously the biggest turnoff, but at the end of the day, this gentleman is very experienced, he's very poised, he's very mature, that being because he is literally an ancient person here. Um, but at the end of the day, if this kid can sling the rock, be smart enough to make the good decisions and reads and throw the ball very well... He should be a quarterback, you know? Like, age shouldn't be 
the limiting factor if he has all the other skill sets of anybody else in this draft that's a quarterback. You know, obviously CJ Young and these other guys bracing are very or CJ Stroud, sorry, and Bryce Young, these guys are young and they're hip and they're athletic and whatever, but if Stenson Bennett can throw the rock just like them and be clutch enough, like in that Ohio State game, to lead his team down for that for, for, for the score, he should be in the NFL too. And there's a lot of teams that can utilize a guy like that. This is going to be a very quarterback-heavy draft because a lot of teams are moving on from their quarterbacks, <laughs> the Raiders, and a lot of teams are looking for their next franchise guy, whether that be the Colts, the Texans, or maybe even Chicago, who knows. But I hope Stenson Bennett finds a good home for himself in a good situation, but bottom line, he's a college legend. Shout out to Stetson for real. And TCU, you know, they got bulldog this game. But this can't... This has been a historic season for the Horn Frogs. Making their first college playoff in, in um, program history. And there are guys on TCU who have solidified themselves as NFL prospects. Max Duggan mm-hmm. he broke out this season. Uh, Quentin Johnson is likely going to be the first wide receiver taken off the board this year. And um, Kendra Miller, the running back, he's likely to get drafted too. And same with their cornerback, Travis Hodges-Tomlinson, who's been one of the best cornerbacks in college football. Absolutely. But I think the discre- like the differentiating factor here between Georgia and TCU is TCU had stars. Georgia had a squad. You know, that, that, that was the longest standing thing here. TCU had their standout players, like you said, Ben, and they're all going to get drafted with flying colors, and they're going to get their accolades and their reps. But Georgia's in every position at Georgia was stacked. There wasn't a whole... At Georgia, TCU had holes, and that's why they couldn't really hang with the big bulldog, you know. So that's an interesting thing. But going forward, this should be a uh, a good receipt to hold for when you make the playoff adjustments for college football. Because there are teams I wish that should have been here. There are teams that should have been here that aren't here, and there's teams that were here that shouldn't be here. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a really interesting thing. But I think football, whether it's college and NFL are going to be on this upward swing. But enough talk about Stenson Bennett, the next Tom Brady. Let's talk about the NFL. What's this weekend, Ben? This weekend is Super Wild Card Weekend. One of the best times of the year. One of my favorites, personally. You got 14 teams duking it out to get their chance at glory in the Super Bowl. And we have a number of great matchups here. Let's start with um, the Saturday games. First on this, um, not first on the slate, but one of the one of the um, better games in my opinion on the slate. We got the Chargers and the Jaguars. That this is the game. I'm pretty sure no one expected this matchup in the playoffs. Let's be real. Absolutely, Ben. Absolutely. I think the Chargers and Jacksonville is a very interesting game because you have a Chargers squad that's on this upswing and has a healthy amount of veterans and young stars, and it's a really good squad. Um, but they are a little bit banged up. They're a little bit hurt. They're missing some of their guys. And they're a little bit inconsistent. I think that's a big word for them. That's my big word of the day. Inconsistent. You know, Jay, Jay Herbo looks great sometimes. But there's some times where the offense gets stale. And the punter does a lot more punting than they should have. And their defense sometimes gives up a lot. For for what they have on paper, you have J.C. Jackson. Who's out for Mack, the year. It, yes, exactly. And that's why I had them making it very far in my playoff predictions when we made it in September. But... Injuries happen in this sport, and Chargers have a lot of holes to fill. You also have the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is a weird team because they shouldn't be here. But Doug Peterson put some culture together, Duval style, and they're doing something in Jacksonville that's very special, and Trevor Lawrence is finally getting his footing in this league, something we all wanted for him. And it's very interesting, but I think something that's going to kill them is the Chargers are inconsistent, but I think the Jacksonville is too inexperienced. 
those are going to be the two outlying factors in this in this playoff game here come Saturday. And I think it's going to be an absolute you know shootout. I think it's going to be a really interesting game, a very fun game, because these are two teams trying to prove it what they have at the moment, Ben. Do you agree? I agree. And these are two of the best young quarterbacks in the league. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. And they got high-powered offense. Obviously, one of the big keys for the Chargers, Mike Williams will not be playing this game. They're um, one of their, their uh, number two receiver, which is a big um. It's a big issue for the Chargers because Herbo can, in most situations, throw it up to Mike Will, and nine times out of ten, he'll be able to make the catch. Absolutely. But now, I know you still have Keenan Allen, but who who's going to be your guy to go to in those situations? Josh Palmer, he's a bigger he's a bigger guy. Um, Gerald Everett, your tight end. Yeah. But I think the biggest story with these two teams, the coaching. Mm-hmm. I think Doug Peterson. I give Jacksonville a lot of slack, and I give him a lot of uh, I give him a lot of hate for hiring Doug Peterson, but he's done an amazing job just taking what Urban Meyer did, and making complete one eighty with it, completely changing Trevor Lawrence and the whole culture of this team. And on the other side, Brandon Staley, he's he makes some boneheaded decisions sometimes as um, the Chargers coach. Mm-hmm. If the Chargers didn't make the playoffs, I thought he would have been fired after this year, honestly. Absolutely. And I think, honestly, if they have a first-round exit here, because I think these are two kind of well-matched teams, he could lose his job as well. Because I think the Chargers team is this beautiful golden chicken, but it lacks the head it needs being that head coach or coaching in general. Their OC and DC make some questionable decisions as well. So the thing about them is if they do lose this this playoff this playoff round here, I do see them making some major changes in the coaching department, and I just think they need to have a better situation to grow these guys up. But like you said, Doug Peterson, awesome job. It took a slow start to get Jacksonville going, but they just were on a tear, picking up staple wins like against my Cowboys. And against my Jets. Exactly, and they figured it out, and I think this team is going to be something to come. I think I do see a rebranding in their future too, change it up a little bit. And I think there's going to be a a nice little future for Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. Both these teams have a very good future. I mean, when you have Herbert and Lawrence as your quarterbacks, you're bound to have a great future. Mm -hmm. And these are just two high-powered offense, defense Lovato for the Chargers. But Jacksonville's defense is also really coming in its own. And that showed against against the Titans. You know, uh, Rayshon Jenkins stripped um, Josh Dobbs and Josh Allen returned for the touchdown, which ultimately sealed the game for them. Mm -hmm. And just... um, the turnaround at Jacksonville has just been remarkable. One of the, I feel like many turnarounds, midseason turnarounds we've seen in the Absolutely. NFL this year. Um, but enough about these two teams. What are your what are your your uh, final score prediction for this game? I have this game being somewhat of a high scoring game. I think there's going to be a lot of be busted coverages and a lot of big plays. I think Austin Eckler is going to have quite the game. It's going to be in the 30s for me. Um, I don't really know with pinpoint, but I think Jacksonville pulls it out with a field goal within the differential. So maybe 35, 30-something. I don't know around there. But I think Jacksonville wins this game for some reason. I just have it in my heart. For me, I think this is going to be relatively higher score. I think it will be in the high 20s. But I have the Chargers coming out on this one. I just think um, both these quarterbacks are built for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence has been under that spotlight his whole career. But I feel like Herbert's going to come out hungry and slinging. Mm -hmm. And I feel like... The Chargers, I feel like they, they may have underperformed a little bit this year, but that's because of injuries and some coaching issues. But I think Herbo absolutely lights this one up. I think he throws for three touchdowns in this game. And I think the Chargers win this one 28 to 20. Um, no matter what, no matter how this game ends, though, for the Jaguars, this is a successful season. No one expected him to be there after having the first pick back to back seasons. Yeah, I think um, Jacksonville and Chargers, no matter what happens this playoffs, they can walk out with their head held high knowing that they have a bright future ahead of them. 
Obviously, they have adjustments to make, whether it's players' health, players' trading, coaching staff, or even GMs in some situations. They know that they've won thus far, and they're going to continue to win and grow. All right, so, so enough about this game. The, the second game uh, um, tomorrow's schedule, the seven-seeded Seahawks at the second-seeded 49ers. Rivalry matchup, division rivals. Um, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this one? Brock, the Rock Purdy, is going to do what he's going to dump best. Past five games, straight five straight games of two passing touchdowns or more. Seattle has been had a, the, probably the most interesting season I've ever seen. I thought they were going to go full tank mode and Geno Smith was just going to be a pocket guy. But for some reason, this team has succeeded to some late way, shape, or form. Um, I do have San Fran walking out of this game barely scathed. I don't think Seattle's going to put up much of a fight. But I do know one thing's for sure. I think Seattle's going to walk away from this game with a certain level of gravitas. I think the rookies that they have and the young squad they're going to have, this experience going up against the 49ers in this playoffs is going to play dividends for the next season and the seasons to come. And I think whether Pete Carroll and that squad does something further with their quarterback, whatever, the young guys are going to have, this is going to be a great experience moment for them. And I think this is going to be needed for them to go further and come back to those Legion of Boom days. But I do think San Fran walks away from this fairly unscathed, win by two or more touchdowns. And because this 49ers squad is too powerful. I'm just saying it here. They're too good. For me, I think this is going to be a little more of a defensive battle, actually. Both these defense, the Niners have the best defensive football. They have arguably the defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. You got Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw in linebacking core. And just they're they're just so well coached on the defensive side. But Seattle, on the other hand, they they have uh, they have big names on paper. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Tariq Woolen leads the league in interceptions. They have a standard rookie Boya Mafe, a pass rusher. But leading tackler Jordan Brooks is out for the year with the torn ACL, which is big. When you got guys who can, when you got guys on the 49ers who can make plays in space, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. George Kittle, that's gonna be a big loss for them. And another storyline with these two teams is. These are both their, both these quarterbacks, their first playoff game, but completely different scenarios. Geno Smith, journeyman guy's whole career. He might might win comeback player of the year. Um, and then Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, came in to start for Jimmy G, undefeated as a starter. And now he's going to play his first playoff game. I think we're going to see an interception thrown by each team. Just because both these defenses are ball hawking and they're, they're good. But I think the Niners are going to come out with a double-digit victory on this one. I just think... I just don't think Seattle has enough firepower to hang with the Niners. I think uh, Kyle Shanahan is just going to outcoach Pete Carroll outright. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be quite the chess match. But like uh, many chess games, I think Car- uh, Kyle Shanahan is somewhat of a Magnus Carlson for all the chess aficionados, the best chess player in the world. He's just going to outclass him. It's going to be, I'm going to think, four moves ahead, and he's just going to pinpoint a lot on Pete Carroll's tendencies. Um, I love Geno Smith. Congratulations to him and whatever he does thus forward. But it's 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 too much right now. It's uh, San Fran; they're too good, and I see them going to the championship game as, as of now. But we can get to that shortly. Yeah, Niners hottest team in the NFL, ten game win streak. My opinion: they're the best team in the NFL right now. That's fair. To I say. think they're probably the best coach, and they're just the best all around. And Kyle Shanahan knows how to how to uh, make an offense work, even if it's with a Mister Allen like Brock Purdy. So for this game, I think the Niners are going to win this one pretty handily. I'm going to say a score of 31 to 14. Seattle, very interesting run. No one expected them to be there. They expect um, they're expected to draft a quarterback like Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. But shout out to what they've done this year. But I think the road ends here for them. Absolutely, Ben. 
Moving on to Sunday, the first game on this slate. We got the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. I think this game is going to be a very lopsided affair in, in um, the favor of Buffalo. I, I absolutely agree, Ben. I just think the thing about it is Buffalo is having the narrative of DeMar Hamlin carrying them through this. You know, the thing about teams, whether it is loss in the family, players getting severe injuries, they play with a certain moxie. They play with a certain chip on their shoulder. They're playing for their family. They're playing for their teammates. And as we all saw, DeMar Hamlin did go down in that insane freak accident in Cincinnati. And ever since that, that Buffalo team has been something of a different wavelength. Um, as we all saw the following week, Naheem Hines went for two returning touchdowns and everybody just looked so pitch perfect. Now, granted, this is the playoffs. People do look different, but I think this certain moxie that they're carrying with them is going to carry them through this game with flying colors. Also, Miami lacks to attack of Aloha. So the thing about it is, is Tyler Thompson going to take him there? No. Teddy Bridgewater is currently out, currently, right? Concussion yeah. protocol. So... This team, it's going to be Mike McDaniels. I like what you did with Miami. I like what you're kind of doing and pushing the direction. But you're you're, you're encountering a beast who's hungry for blood. And they don't want to fight to win. They want to fight for their brother who's currently in the hospital. They want to win because that's their guy. And they want to not only prove themselves in this league, but prove it that they are for real. And this is a family. Buffalo, their chemistry right now is insane they're just so together right now they're on the same page they're one for one i got your back you got my back this is a very dangerous squad i wouldn't want to encounter if i'm any team in this league because not only they're good but they're playing for a reason they're playing for their teammate and it's a beautiful beautiful thing to see and i think buffalo just tears up miami tears them up without any question i'm gonna turn that game off in the second half and i think this is gonna be 30 to 30 something to seven. Like, I think Miami's just not going to get anything going. Tyreek Hill is going to voice his, his, you know, disgruntled attitude. And I can see him having this kind of separation with Miami. And they're going to keep him there, but something's going to happen over there. You know, this is, this would have been a completely different story if Tua was healthy, but obviously Tua is not healthy. He's had three concussions this year. And I'm glad um, Mike McDaniels keeping him out because we know McDaniels loves to go balls to the wall with these um, injuries and playing their best players. But. Skylar Thompson has no shot of being Buffalo in Buffalo. Let's be real. No. They're playing in Buffalo is one of the hardest places to play in the NFL just because of the crowd and um, the noise. Also, it's a Florida-based team playing in Buffalo, one of the coldest places. And Skylar Thompson is a third-string rookie quarterback going up against the top three quarterback in football and one of the best defenses. Yeah, absolutely. And Buffalo, as we know, playing for their brother Demar Hamlin, we we hope we hope um, he's doing well. He's he actually just got out of the hospital. Beautiful, the other day, beautiful to hear. And he's back with the team. We love to see it. And Buffalo, this is just going to be. They're playing with heart right now. Their chemistry all time high. Everyone's playing with a, playing emotionally, and they also playing with a chip on their shoulder. They um, lost to the Chiefs back to back seasons, which knocked them out of the playoffs. Um, last year, um, they lost the coin toss in overtime, which led to Travis Kelsey walking them off in the divisional. And the year before that, it lost in the AFC Championship game. So I predicted Buffalo to go to the Super Bowl, and I think this is going to be a great, easy step for them to get there. Buffalo's winning this game 35-7. to Miami has no shot. Josh Allen, I think he goes for four total touchdowns. I think the defense picks off Skylar Thompson three times. And, you know, just for Hamlin... 
Naheem Hines is returning another touchdown. <laughs> just just for Hamlin. We we love to see Buffalo like this, but I think as the playoffs progress, Buffalo is going to run into people of the same caliber as them, though. But we can get to that shortly. Might run into Cincinnati the next round, which will be a dogfight. Absolutely. The next game on um, Sunday, this is going to be, this is in my opinion, this is going to be the most competitive game on Wildcard Weekend. The New York Giants at the Minnesota Vikings. They played earlier this year. My, uh, Minnesota won off a 61 game winning field goal from Greg Joseph to win 27 to 24. But the story of this Giants team, they never quit. That's what no. Brian Tables instilled in them. They've had the underdog mentality. They've dealt with injuries to their O line. They play with practice squad receivers. Uh, Kenny Galladay, shout out to him, catching his first touchdown as a Giant against the Eagles, but he's been literally non-existent. And I think Dable's really transformed his offense. Daniel Jones has the lowest interception rate of any quarterback. throwing only, It's only a 1.1% uh, rate. He's only thrown five picks this year. And Saquon Barkley's had his best year since his rookie year. He's just... He um, started off explosive, then he slowed down a little bit from, for a three- to four-game stretch, but the last few games he's been on fire. Even though, and the defense has picked it up a little bit. They started off slow, but Kayvon Thibodeau's coming into his own. Aziz Ojolari came back from injury strong. Dexter Lawrence is playing like one of the best interior D linemen in football. Uh, Xavier McKinney is going to be back. And the Giants, are they're playing really well. I personally thought they were going to collapse after their 7-2 start, after their little 3-8 losing streak. But kudos to them. They stuck together. They, they're winning games. And I really think they have a good shot to upset this Minnesota team. I don't I don't know if it's much of an upset. Obviously, the rankings have Minnesota being the third seed and Giants having a sixth seed. But like you said, Ben, this is going to be the most competitive game. I think they kind of line up very well against each other. Um, I think the Giants team, their biggest win of the season is having the ball as their coach. He, he's entirely flipped the script on what's happened in, in New York. You know, following the just the mishaps of Joe Judge. Like, he's come in here and changed the culture for this team and whatever they do in this round, they can also walk away somewhat of a win because they came from this somewhat of a garbage team that no one want to pay mind to, some, to a genuine team that you have the game plan for. You got to study because if you make mistakes, they will capitalize on them. And the thing about this, though, is I think Justin Jefferson's going to go off this game. He has a certain chip on his shoulder. And I think the Giants... They go on these little droughts of scoring, and they get in their heads sometimes. And you did mention that they turn the ball over, but they do punt a little bit here and there. And they're not a high-scoring team. They're just, they're not. Not at all. You know? And I think the the Vikings, they, they pick up after their mistakes a lot. We've had plenty of games where Kirk Cousins has a half where he throws two picks, no touchdowns, 150 yards. Hey, listen, look at the Indiana game. Exactly. And then he just flips scripts. Minnesota's also a team that they can just turn it on like that. And it's quite a beautiful sight to see. And I think the biggest advice I give to the Giants going is you have to figure out how to stop the passing game. I'm fine with Dalvin Cook running for for whatever he runs for, but that passing game hurts you because they have these little spells in Minnesota where they have a three-yard run, four-yard run, and then a 30-yard pass to Justin Jefferson. How much ground that covers. So I think this is going to be a very, very low-scoring game because I think it's just a certain moxie going into this game and they're going to have a certain chip and they're both trying to prove it some are going to win now some are going to prove it um a lot of giants players are on these free agent deals and if they pick up a staple win here um they can get a big payday later on or lose their jobs perhaps we don't know but i think it's gonna be a very interesting game i think the score is gonna be 14 to 7 and i think minnesota comes away with this you know minnesota interestingly enough 13 and 4 great record but they have a negative point differential. Which is very interesting. Minus three. 
which says a lot about Minnesota. Their offense is very explosive, as we know with guys like Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, TJ Hawkinson, Dalvin Cook. But their defense is a lot to be desired. They they give up a lot of points. The secondary is not that great, um, which shouldn't be a huge problem because the Giants they don't pass they they don't have many explosive passing plays. It's a lot yeah. of usually RPO the, play action, RPO little slants, checkdowns, and then you got the Barkley big run. But I think um, I think Kirk Cousins. Um, I think this he wins a playoff game this year. I think uh, he he has won one in the past with uh, Minnesota, but. I think um, I don't know. This I feel like Justin Jefferson, as you say, he's gonna come out hungry. Yeah, you know he's probably gonna win Offensive Player of the Year this year with 120 receptions and over 1,800 receiving yards. I think he's a lock to win that award. And I think uh, I think T.J. Hawkinson, who's been amazing for Minnesota since he got traded from Detroit, is gonna have a big game. I think it'll be a little higher score than he said. I think it's gonna be 20 to 17, and I think. Joseph's going to do it again with the game-winning field goal. Not necessarily at the horn, but I think he's going to nail uh, a game-winner in the final seconds. If that happens, Ben, that that guy's going to be hated in New York for a very, very long time. Oh, he will. But similar to Jacksonville, if the no matter what happens with the Giants, no one expected him to be there in the first place. A successful year. And, you know, they got a bright future. Yeah. Um, they're going to have money. In the, they're going to have some money to, to play with in the offseason. They do got to extend... Barkley and Daniel Jones. I'm pretty. I think it's clear that these two guys are going to be your core for the future after this season. Yeah, we'll just see how that that operates because I love Saquon, but I'm not super high on Daniel Jones unless you provide him with some sort of weapons or something like that. Because this, this 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 level of play is surprising, but it's not sustainable. So I mean, who knows? DeAndre Hopkins is going to get traded by the Cardinals. Maybe the Giants make a play for him. I don't know. I think he's going to be in a big market for a lot of teams. Um, if Aaron Rodgers comes back, I can see him hightail to Green Bay. There's a lot of quarterbacks that D-Hop is not going to play for Daniel Jones. Because the thing about it is Daniel Jones is 26 right now. He does now, have a no trade clause, too. I did forget about that. Yeah, so the thing about it is D-Hop is going to want to play for a guy that's going to give him the ball. And if passing isn't even the thing in New York... He's not going to go that that New York way. I think there's a lot of better options for D Hop personally. It makes sense, but these two teams, this is going to be a very, this is going to be a fun game to watch. It's going to be a very I'm fun very game excited to watch. for this one. Absolutely. And the final game on the Sunday slate, we got the Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals. I similar story to Miami, just playing with the backup quarterback and Tyler Huntley. I don't think it's going to be necessarily close, especially playing in uh, in Cincinnati. And these, it's another rivalry game. Burrow's going to come out slinging. I don't think this game is going to be close. Absolutely. I just think that Ravens have had a, a five-finger string of bad luck, as I like to say. Um, the biggest question mark, though, is obviously Cincinnati's going to walk away from this game. I don't think they're going to win it with flying colors. I think it's going to be a kind of a nasty victory. But that's going to play dividends coming the next round that they enter. But my biggest question mark for either of these teams, or one team, Baltimore, what's going on with Lamar Jackson, honestly? Lamar Jackson, you know... He suffered a PCL injury in late November. It was a PCL strain that said it would take one to three weeks to heal. It's been almost six weeks, and he hasn't practiced since then. So he's I don't missed think... his 16 straight practice. So maybe the knee injury is worse than we thought, or maybe something's going on inside the organization. You know, in the beginning of the year, Lamar Jackson wanted a contract extension, and he did not get that. So, And he was on pace to um, get his worth on the field. He was having a very good season before. He got hurt. Um, and ever since Lamar's been out, it seems like the Ravens can't score over 15 points a game, mm. which can't, which won't get you anywhere in the playoffs. It's clear that he's the engine of this offense. He makes that thing. He makes um, the offense uh, per. But um, 
I don't know. I feel like there's a disconnect in the organization, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Lamar Jackson requests a trade out of Baltimore. Yeah, it's it's de- it's definitely a difficult situation because Lamar Jackson is a I think a top three, top four quarterback in this league when he's healthy. But that's the biggest if, when or if he's healthy. I think he deserves every dollar he's ever offered ever. But the thing is, is Baltimore willing to take the chance on a guy who's missed a lot of games in the past? He's missed five games each of the past uh, two years, which is a lot. For and a the thing about it is I love the play style. I love playing as him in Madden because it just makes my brother upset and I win by multiple touchdowns. But the thing about it is this play style isn't sustainable for too long. And extending a guy like this who misses basically a guaranteed five games every season, what's what? where is Baltimore's head at? Are they going to take the risk on a guy like this and go full frontal and also provide him weapons? Or are they going to move on from him? And also, if they trade for him, what are other teams willing to give up? Because this guy's worth, you know, the farm and the barn, baby. It's it, Lamar Jackson is the guy, and whatever team is receiving him is giving away a lot. So it's going to be a very difficult thing for Baltimore going forward, but I don't see them winning this game at all. But I do think Cincinnati has to fight tooth and nail to get out of this one because I think Baltimore the defensive side is going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because they themselves have to prove themselves because they want to get paid too. You know, Baltimore, is, they've heated up at the defensive end. Roquan Smith won Defensive Player of the Month, and Marlon Humphrey's been playing a lot better as of late. He's, mm-hmm. We know he's a big name. He's been he's played pretty poorly earlier on the year, but he's definitely heated up. But Cincinnati, after the 0-2 start, they've been unstoppable. They've been they won 11-2 since. Mm-hmm. But... So for Cincinnati, I think they're also hungry. Obviously, we know they lost the Super Bowl last year by uh, three points to the Rams. And I think um, Cincinnati is one of the best teams on paper also. And I think Joe Burrow is going to have... He's going to have a good game. There's, I think there'll be one blip there, but he's going to play overall a very good game. I think uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins each get into the end zone. And I think uh, Cincinnati picks up Huntley twice. I think Cincinnati wins this one thirty to fourteen. I don't just it's also a home game. Who day? They're gonna be yeah. uh Cincinnati's gonna be hungry. They're looking to make another Super Bowl run. Absolutely. And they're well deserved. I love Joe Shiesty. Everyone loves Joe Sa- Shiesty. The final game of Super Wildcard Weekend, I know I know this one's uh you got this one circled for obvious reasons. The Dallas Whedon Boys Cowboys <sighs> against Tom Brizzle. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This game is going to be the most interesting game in recent Dallas history because there are so many narratives, so many streaks, and so many certain statistics that are up for grabs. We are 7-0 against Brady. Uh, Dan Quinn has a terrible record against Brady. Mind you, he's the DC, not head coach. Mike McCarthy doesn't have a great record against uh, Tom Brady when he was... And the Cowboys in general don't have a great record Exactly. So the thing about it, but also... We've seen what Dak plays like against good teams. Dak is a weird guy this season, I'll say, because he plays like the other team is playing. When he played against Philadelphia this season, obviously Gardner Minshew was the quarterback, but from a pure Dak Prescott versus the Philadelphia defense, which at the time was the best defense in the NFL, he did awesome. Had a career night, blowing it up. We've seen what he's done to the Buccaneers in the past. Last season, when he versed them week one, he tore it up. And then Greg Zerline couldn't land kicks. So I need that kind of Dak to show up here. Obviously, you know, Dallas Cowboys fans, we all know the old stigma of first round exits every year, blah, blah, blah. I think it's different. I do think we win this game because this isn't the same Buccaneers we encountered last year. This isn't the same Buccaneers that 
won a Super Bowl. This isn't the same Tom Brady that's won seven Super Bowls. And I don't think this is the same Cowboys team as last year. Exactly. I think there's a lot of things at play here. I think Dak is going to do good. I think our running game is going to do good. I think Kellen Moore has to make the right decisions because a lot of his plays are predictable. They're seeable. They're, you know, very obvious. But I think a big... Big guy that's got to stand up and his squad is Dan Quinn and the defensive core. More specifically, the secondary. I'm not really worried about the defensive linemen and the linebackers. I think they're going to have a great time. Leighton Van Der Esch is back. Micah Parsons is going to do his thing. I think he's going to have a club on his left hand. He's going to be like an absolute pirate out there, a squash buckler. But I think the biggest guys who are going to have to be pinpoint is Dan Quinn and the secondary. Right now, our secondary is very interesting because we have a lot of inexperienced young guys, Malik like Cooker, Dayron Bland, but we also brought in, you know, old dudes, Xavier Rhodes, and Dan Quinn has a past with Tom Brady, and it's going to be very interesting going in because Tom Brady loves to pass. He just broke his completion record in a season this season, which was prior record was him last season. He loves to pass, and every game he pushes up into the fifties when it guards the passing. So he's going to throw the ball. And we have to think of certain schemes to fit that. Mike Evans historically does really good against the Cowboys. So it's going to be also very interesting. What are we going to do about him? But this Buccaneer squad is also unhealthy. I don't know if their center's playing, but if there isn't, we can send pressure on Tom Brady. He gets rid of the ball quick, but pressure is all we need to be sustainable here. And I think I'm going to have Dak Prescott. He's going to throw the obvious pick, hoorah, hoorah, whatever. But I think he's going to throw three touchdowns for 225. I think CD's going to have 115 receiving yards. I think uh, Tony Pollard's going to have 80 yards, a a touchdown in the air and a touchdown on the ground. I think Tom Brady's going to have a pick, two touchdowns and about 200 something yards. I think the Cowboys walk away from this game with a victory. Mike McCarthy secures his job, but Kellen Moore is still in the hot seat personally. You know, I, this is going to be, I'm friends with many Cowboys fans, you included. Um, and they all think they have mixed emotions on this team. There are people who think this team can go all the way, and there are people who think this this team is going to be a first round exit. Mm-hmm. It depends on what Dak Prescott we get. If we get the Dak Prescott that we saw last year in the opener against um against Tampa Bay, or the Dak we see against the saw against the Eagles and the in Week 16, they're going to come away with the win. And mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be particularly close. Yes. But if we get the deck that we saw in Washington to end the year, this could be a different story. Yeah. But this is Tom Brady's worst team in probably over a decade. Absolutely. Plethora of injuries and the guy and when and the te- people have come back from injuries, but this team, the chemistry, I feel like it's lacking. It is because the wide receiver core hasn't played a lot together. Chris Godwin's been banged up. Julio Jones been banged up. Mike Evans has been consistently there, but. But aside from the Carolina game, he's, he had a cold streak of games prior to that. Yeah. And the defense is also banged up. Shaq Barrett's hurt. Um, and also, Ryan Jensen, I'm pretty sure he's going to be out for this game. Mm-hmm. And personally, maybe this is my Jets fan bias coming in. I don't think Todd Bowles is a good head coach. There are people who are just meant to be coordinators and meant to be people who are meant to be head coaches. Absolutely. Todd Bowles is meant to be a defensive coordinator. He was awesome as a DC under Bruce Arians. And... Um, I think Dak is going to come out with the... He has a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. People say he's overrated. Led the league in picks even though he missed five games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, he's going to come out slinging the rock. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the Buccaneers have a stout run defense, so I don't know how much Pollard and Zeke will get done on the ground. But I think CD's going to have a very big game. And I think um, I think um, Michael Gallup is going to have 
a good game too. I think he's good. I think Michael Gallup is going to be the X factor for this team because mm. they're going to focus in on Ceedee Lamb and Michael Gallup can get the ball in one on one coverage. I think he's. I think he'll have over eighty yards and a touchdown for Dallas. Yeah, and I think the Cowboys. I I think this is going to be their their best chance to make a run at the Super Bowl. I think aside from for, the aside from the 49ers, I think they're going to. I think um, they're the, my second favorites to win the NFC because I can't go against the 49ers. I yeah. think Dallas will be, be. I think Dallas is going to be better than Philly. I think if they play Philly, they'll beat them in the playoffs. And I think Dallas is going to win this one handily. I, ha- I have them winning this one 27-14. Yeah, I, I kind of like that 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 scoreline as well. I just think the biggest takeaway here is I don't believe that this team could go all the way. I do think they can make it to the NFC Championship game. And we're gonna. I think we are going to run into the 49ers at some it's point. It's inevitable if you want to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they, they, they are... The big, the, the, you know, you got to pay the, the 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 troll toll. You know, these are the big du- dudes that are preventing you from going to the wavelength. And if we do make it to the NFC Championship, win or lose, I'm a happy individual because it shows we can hang. But there are so- several things we need to fix. I think we need another weapon. Our secondary has to improve. And I'm not the biggest fan of Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy. I think Mike McCarthy is just a what-if coach, like eh, blah, blah, blah. He's kind of like a mashed potatoes in a, in, a, in a quarter zip jacket. And I think Kellen Moore is a very predictable offensive coordinator. And like you said beautifully, Ben, I think some guys are meant for coordinators. Some guys are meant for head coaches. My entire team's coordinators, apparently everybody's looking at them for head coaching gigs. Kellen Moore is looking at Carolina. Dan Quinn's looking at Denver. And it's going to be very interesting because win or lose, one of those guys could walk. Both of them could walk. you got to refill those things. Um and if Jerry Jones is really mad at Mike Crush for whatever reason, whatever, maybe he can get removed. And there's a lot of guys up for you. you got Demeco Ryan's at DC for 49ers. He's going up for a head coaching gig. And I'm a big fan of him, but maybe he's not the best head coach because he's an awesome DC. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason for the Cowboys because it's going to divulge the coaching and young talent that they got to acquire. But I really like this roster. I am a fan of Dak. I do like Dak. I'm obviously the interception is a big glaring stat, but a lot of them aren't his fault. And uh, most of the time, after he does an interception, he has an awesome game. I think my biggest key for them is he's going to do incredibly well against the zone coverage, but against the man coverage, Dak is a little iffy about it because he can't really time the receivers super well, at least, you know, bef- you know after Gallup. But if Tampa lines up in that zone, I think they're going to get torched. I agree. And, and I think... Uh... I really do think this is the year Dallas can make it to the NFC Championship. Mm-hmm. No, we said that in years past about the team, but I think they'll do it this year. I agree. I ho- God, I hope. <laughs> God, I hope. <laughs> I know you hope so. So that's it for the playoffs, but I want to just take a little bit of time and go back to the predictions we made for the awards way back when on September 7th. We did an episode earlier on this with our predictions. I just want to go back and see if these have aged poorly like some like have, milk, some have. or if they've aged very well, like some nice fine red wine. So Tyler, start with our MVP predictions. Who did you have? September 7th at exactly 1.50 p.m., I had Patrick Mahomes winning MVP. I, this was the one I was absolutely sure with. I saw this miles away. He's in a state right now where this is his first year without Tyreek Hill. And I said in September that it was a prove-it year for him, and he will prove it. He's throwing, what, 41 touchdowns? What? 12 picks maybe and he's just been absolutely stellar and it's a combination between his stellar play and Andy Reid just knowing how to just coach a football team Jarek McKinnon right a guy that's bounced around the league has been a whatever player has been an amazing player in Kansas City Chiefs and 
Patrick Mahomes winning the MVP, I saw this from miles away. And obviously it stands right now. I think he's he's the MVP. There's no debate about it. I think it. it's unanimous. The, yeah. all pro, the first the all-pro team just came out. He received 49 out of the 50 votes for all-first-team yeah. all all-pro. It's kind of obvious he's going to win this in a landslide. Absolutely. For me, I had Josh Allen. He um he had a very he had a hot start to the year. He played very well against the Rams, but there was a stretch of games where he threw a plethora of interceptions. He ended up with 14 picks on the year. He still had 35 touchdowns and um, multiple touchdowns on the ground. But I think uh, but Mahomes rightfully so should win the MVP. But I think Josh Allen. I think he's going to cook in the playoffs, and he's the Demar Hamlin uh, whole situation. I think uh, I think it's going to power Josh Allen. He got really emotional. At his in his post game press conference after the Naheem Hines touchdown, so I think um, while he might not win regular season MVP, I think he's going to be the MVP of the postseason. Mm. He's going to play the best football. Absolutely, I like that. So offensive player of the year, I had Jonathan Taylor. I thought with the emergency, freezing cold, yeah, free, freezing cold. <laughs> now I thought he was going to be in a stellar player because I thought Matt Ryan was going to come in and just give him like. Like the, a somewhat of a foundation blueprint to really excel in Indianapolis. But due to injury and Matt Ryan just being absolutely booty cheeks and the rest of the team just falling apart, obviously this take did not age very well, like my prior take, but we move. So for me, I had uh, Justin Jefferson, Jay Jetta's winning offensive player of the year. I think he's going to win this one in a landslide. He had uh, almost he had 128 receptions, eight, 18, 1,809 yards, and eight touchdowns, averaging 106 yards a game. And he, he had two duds in the last two weeks, and he probably would have broken 2,000 yards if he didn't have those duds. And he's just the best wide receiver in football. There's no other way to put it. He's gonna, he might go down as the best receiver in history. We don't know, but, he, but he's, he's going to win Offensive Player of the Year. It's, he's going to win in a landslide. Absolutely. Defensive Player of the Year, I had a funny one. Uh, I, I went with Aaron Donald. I thought Aaron Donald was going to have a good year. But funny enough, that Rams year for them has been terrible. The worst ever Super Bowl defending team of all time, and Aaron Donald had a very pedestrian year. Um, I thought I thought he was going to have a good year because he was coming back. He had a certain you know gravitas about him. He won a Super Bowl, but he just was pretty average this year. Nothing crazy, and he also didn't have the incentive to play very well because the rest of the team was falling apart. So that was another cold take of mine. But I like to go for the ballsy ones. Ben, what was your defense Love to player? See it. For me, I had your boy, Micah Parsons. Yeah. It was, look, I mean, he's right now top two in defensive player of the year. Yeah. It's him and Nick Bosa. And early on, it was looking like Parsons was going to win the landslide, but Bosa currently leads the lead in sacks. But Parsons, I feel like he could still win it because I think he's more of a complete player. Like, Parsons could literally do everything. That's the thing about this. Bosa, a phenomenal defensive lineman. But Micah Parsons not only has. The sacks to back it up, but he's awesome in coverage, awesome in run defense, awesome in everything else. So it, it all depends on what the what the vote like uh, givers or getters are feeling. Are they feeling more of a really good at one thing or great at everything kind of thing? You know, so it really depends. But I love this pick from you, not only being a Cowboys fan, but um, I I could see him winning it this year too. But it's very hard to go against Nick Bosa's awesome awesome sack year. Uh, let me see what else. oh. Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'm very proud of this one. I had Chris Olave. I I just had a gut feeling in my loins, Ben, that he was going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year because, like, he's just that guy. He's a phenomenal he's receiver. Really good. Yeah, he's a phenomenal receiver. And the thing about this, I think this draft class is going to be remembered a lot for the receiving core. Chris Olave, your boy Garrett Wilson. There's a lot of good receivers that that emerge from this class, and I think Chris Olave is. 
it's it's the it's the top shelf liquor here. He he's awesome. And I I thought this pick was going to be iffy after I made it because the Saints aren't known for their passing game and Winston was going to be this questionable guy, but he figured it out. And I still have him winning this award this year. And he's going to have a pretty illustrious career if they can figure out the quarterback situation or he moves to a system that has a good quarterback. For me, my offensive rookie of the year, sadly, this hurt me uh, emotionally when it happened. Uh, I had Brees Hall mm-hmm. running back for the New York Jets. He he was on pace to run away with this award. If he um if he stayed healthy during the season, he would have been on pace for um he would have been on pace for sixteen hundred fifty yards and twelve touchdowns. Yeah, but fortunately he tore his ACL in Denver in Week Seven, so that's not going to happen. But if it wasn't him, I think it's going to be Garrett Wilson. Who's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year? He's he's been the best receiver the Jets have had in almost a decade. He finished with 83 receptions and over 1,100 yards, four touchdowns, and he's been doing this with a rotating carousel quarterback, similar to Chris Olave. Yeah, and like you said about this draft class, this is going to be a very good draft class receivers. You got the two Ohio State boys, and even and Jamison Williams. He's gonna he's gonna be uh healthy next year. I'm excited to see what he can do. Drake London really been playing better at the end of the year with Desmond Ritter quarterback. And even uh, Jahan Dotson from Washington, he's been playing very well. And I'm just excited for the future of the league regarding the receivers. Yeah, this is going to be a historical draft class when it comes to receivers. But, Ben, you and I shared a common candidate for the Defensive Rookie of the Year. Your boy, the Sauce Gardner. The, the dude's sauce. He's, he's, he's amazing. Pro Bowl rookie. All, he just made it all pro today. First uh, rookie cornerback to make an all-pro since Ronnie Lott in 1981. That's and Ronnie sad. Lott ended up, very, he ended up being a pretty good player, a Hall of Famer. <laughs> a pretty good player, and Ronnie Sa- Lott. And Sauce Gardner, you know, you're going to have the Tariq Woolen stands. Oh, Sauce Gardner doesn't pick the ball off like Woolen. True. Woolen has six picks, Sauce only has two. But Sauce Gardner leads the league in pass breakups with 20. And it's like, it's not even close. And... Teams throw away from Sauce Gardner. They don't want to. They don't want to test the sauce. And he's played against some of the best receivers in football: Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs. The list goes on and on. And he's held his own, and he's been unbelievable. And Sauce Gardner, he's he's gonna have a Revis type career, and honestly, it might be even better because mm. this this is one of the best cornerback seasons I've ever seen. This kid's only a rookie. Yeah, absolutely. Money is temporary, but the sauce is forever. The thing about the interception stat for me is very interesting because I think when it comes to a guy that doesn't have a lot of interceptions, you have to look at his game tape. And like Ben said, if you don't, if they don't target Sauce Gardner, there's a reason for that, you know. And the thing about Sauce is, well, you want to light? Yeah. Oh, hold on. Momentary. You just shut off my computer. That's the best we got. But anyway, sorry for the interruption. Um. There's a reason they don't target sauces because they know the pass is not going to go through. And like you said, pass breakups, that's a big stat. Interceptions for me, I look at highfalutin interceptions from safeties. I think safeties are the other position on the field that pick up the most interceptions generally Mm -hmm. because they're the second man there. They're the coverage guys. You're worried about the man. I'm worried about the ball, right? So cornerbacks not picking up a lot of interceptions, that's fine. But the fact that they don't even target Sauce, and they didn't even target him in the preseason, the kid is nasty, the kid is awesome, he's going to have an illustrious career, and I hope he picks up a ring in New York, but it's going to be hard to keep on a guy like that who knows his worth and his skill level. God, I hope he can be a Jet for life. This is a guy that can transform a team. Absolutely. Who else do we have? Oh, Comeback Player of the Year. I had Christian McCaffrey being Comeback Player of the Year. Now, in September, obviously, he was a Carolina Panther, right? 
And I thought he was just going to have an awesome year coming to Carolina. And as the year went on, my take on this was like iffy. But once he made it to San Fran, that made this take very interesting. Because if you think about it, he's had an awesome, awesome ten. He's been years. amazing for um, the 49ers. He had he had a he had a day where he had a pass in the air, a pass in the ground, and he threw a pass. Like this guy, but he had the triple crown. <laughs> this guy is amazing. He had, the, he had the cycle basically, and obviously the comeback player of the year is a, is a weird award because you have to factor in whether or not he came back from injury. You know, Geno Smith is a hot candidate for this award because he just basically came in and just changed his kind of tenure of his career. But I, I could see Christian McCaffrey still winning this award because what he's done and how he's ch- transformed an already good team into a great team. But the guy's awesome. The guy's going to be, you know, number one fantasy running back on the boards next year. And he's going to have an awesome tenure in San Fran because they know how to use him. So for me, my comeback player of the year, it looked hot in the beginning. But then this guy, the common theme with this guy popped up. Michael Thomas. He had a very, very, very strong start to the year. In his first game, he had five receptions, 57 yards, and two touchdowns. His second game, he had six receptions, 65 yards, and a touchdown. Very good pace for a comeback player of the year. What happens? He gets hurt again. This is the whole season. So, I think this is the beginning of the end for Michael Thomas. He's just dealt with so many injuries. He's going to be 30 years old by the time the season starts. I think the Saints are going to try to find a way to either restructure his contract or move him all together just to save some money. But this is a pretty sad fall for... um, Michael Thomas. Um, I hope once again people still can't guard Mike, but I don't. I feel like I feel like the downfall of Michael Thomas is just beginning. Yeah, this is definitely the beginning of the end. But if he can somehow find a way to make it to another team as, as not the number one guy, maybe number two or three, he can really have a nice little rest of his career for himself. My coach of the year at the start was Matt Lafleur. Now listen, I went with the dark horse candidate because I thought the Packers were going to play a certain way this year, but. This pick went ice cold, Frozone style, because there was so many chemistry issues. Aaron Rodgers hated LaFleur. There were so many battered things. But towards the end of the season, they were doing a little couple of things. And I thought they were going to make a postseason push. But obviously, Dan Campbell, the Lions, want to sour that moment. But I believe that Matt LaFleur was going to do something with Aaron Rodgers that was going to be very special. But it never came through. And I know he's the most winningest quarter, uh, coach at the time right now, but... That's a blown up stat because he's had a very short tenure as a head coach. So it's whatever. But I think the Packers are going to come different next year, whether Roger stays, goes, or retires. Who knows? But I think Matt LaFleur is still a decent coach. But, you know, it was quite the interesting season for the Packers. Yeah, Packers, there's gonna be, we're going to be talking about the Packers a little later. It's going to be a very interesting offseason for that. For me, my coach of the year, I had Nick Sirianni. And I think there are three guys who are going to who have a chance to this award. I think it's going to be either A, Sirianni. B Kyle Shanahan or three Brian Dable, and you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with guys. either of them. They all have their respective reasons for winning. But Sirianni, the Eagles are the best regular season team in football, fourteen and three. Um, won the yeah. NFC East, one seed, first round by mo- one of the best teams in football. And I think uh, I don't know if he'll necessarily win this award. Honestly, if I if I was picking right now, I would pick Brian Dable to be my coach of the year. Yeah. Because what he's done in New York is incredible, but he's flipped the script. Both teams were already good going into the season, and one team was terrible, and it was the Giants. And he brought them to the playoffs as I believe was six seed, or whatever. six seed, nine, seven, and one. Exactly, and he's changed the culture from people that were picking up the scraps of once was the Giants, but now I have him winning the award now because he's he's a, a awesome coach, and any organization would be blessed to have him. And obviously, the Giants have him now. Yeah, but. 
Sirianni, he's going to be in the top three voting, and he's still been a damn good coach for Philly. Now we have to see how he can do in the playoffs. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to do a double entente here. I had a, my best team in the regular season in September was going to be the Buffalo Bills. It was a good pick. You know, they're still you know top three team, and yeah. no one's going to want to catch them. And my worst team I had was the Houston Texans, which I still think the Houston Texans are the worst team. Somehow they just miraculously won that final game. They lost the number one pick, which would have solidified my worst record. But that team is horrendous. And I really don't know if what you're Houston, what you're doing. You just fired Levy Smith, which is your second coach that's only lasted a year. And I don't know what they're going to do in Houston. They're always going to live in Dallas's shadow. And they're picking up the pieces of once was the, you know Deshaun Watson and D-Hop. So what do you, you, you? Obviously, you probably pick up Bryce Young, but what then? You know, you don't have anything around him, so you got to really build a culture for him to stay. Because I love Bryce Young, but you know, you put any quarterback in Houston, they're not going to look good. Yeah, the thing is with Houston, the the one thing they have going for them is draft picks. Yeah, thank you, that. thank you to the Sean Watson trade. But for me, I had the same best regular season team, Buffalo Bills. Same reason as you; they were the most complete roster. But thirteen and three. That's I don't think Buffalo's complaining about that. For me, I had the Chicago Bears being my um, worst team, and I think um, in this in the podcast um, with these predictions, I think I had the Bears going thirteen and four, thir- thirteen and four. Bleh, that's terrible. Three and fourteen, and they started off two and one, and I got a little scared. I did not expect them to go one and thirteen the rest of the way. <laughs> so that that worked. The Bears are not good. They're definitely not the worst team on paper, as that definitely belongs to the Houston Texans, respectively. And even the Colts might be worse than the Bears on paper. Mm-hmm. But I think the Bears are going to have a pretty bright future. Hopefully, Ryan Poles decides to keep Justin Fields there. I know there was talks about Bryce Young possibly getting taken first overall. I think it would be a mistake. I'd say you trade down from that pick and try to pick up a receiver and another first or two. Or you draft Jalen Carter or Will Anderson and solidify your defense. But Chicago Bears, I'm I'm so sorry for these fans. They've dealt with a lot over the last few years. Absolutely, but I think the future could be bright if they play the cards right. Could be. So for my NFC Championship, or my NFC Champ back in September, and my Super Bowl winner, which I'll you know allude to, I had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning it all back in September because I think on paper that team was just so nasty, and I thought Todd Bowles taking the head coaching reins from Bruce Arians wasn't going to be that much of a difference. I thought it was going to be the same system, same everything. Tom Brady's going to do his thing. And I had a little narrative note here. I said Tom Brady's going to capture his eighth and retire on the field for good. Obviously, we're in a different circumstance now. Todd Bowles wasn't the head coach Bruce Arians. It's even worse. Health issues, linemen getting hurt, wide receivers getting hurt, defense kind of letting up at some moments, and Tom Brady not looking good. Probably looking the worst he's looked in a very, very long time. And it's interesting because I still still think that the Buccaneers could do good things in the playoffs, but the high hopes of them that I once had and many fans had, shout out to my boy Garrett Bolton, who is a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, those, those hopes are now dwindled. And now they're just a team that could win, could lose. We're not really expecting them. And right now in the spread, shout out to the sports books, they're not a favorite in any of these matchups going forward which is going to be very interesting because Tom Brady's never been on the back foot like this. He's always been the favorite, the guy, and his defense has always come clutch. But we'll see how the playoffs go, especially against my Dallas Cowboys. So for my NFC champion, I had the same Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bucks coming back with still with a very good roster, adding Julio Jones in the beginning of the year, but injuries played a factor, and Tom Brady just not being himself also played a factor. Eight and nine, barely won that division, and they 
they're gonna get knocked out in the first round. I think. I just don't. I don't. But uh, I can't even go against Tom Brady. That's the thing. Yeah. It's it's an eight and nine Tom Brady. You don't want to see him in the playoffs. You yeah. Don't. Even these, though he's one hundred fifty two years old, you don't want to see this guy in the playoffs. He's mm-hmm. yeah. He's like he's like a the pl- the plague doctor. Absolutely, absolutely. Funny enough, for my AFC champ who would versus the Buccaneers, I had the Chargers going into the season. Everybody was healthy, so that 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 was the thing. Like. They had something special, and I saw, and I think they still do have something special going forward. And I mentioned a note here. I said the meta, the meta defense in the NFL is pass rush and DBs, and they had an awesome lineup. You have the you have a you have a Bosa brother. You have Khalil Mack putting a pass rush right. You have J.C. Jackson on an awesome secondary right. You have Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams. This t- and, and Rashawn Slater, you know, locking it down to protect Herbo. This team was awesome, but I didn't know how much. Injuries were going to plague this team. Look, J.C. Jackson got her. Rashawn Slater got her. Mike Williams banged up. Keenan Allen was banged up. Like Joey it, Bosa was banged up. Michael Mack was banged it up. It was insane how injuries really plagued this team. And I was thoroughly shocked because when healthy, you don't want to see this team. When, when everybody's hunted, you do not want to see this team. But injuries really plagued this team, which messed up my pick. But going forward, this team is something to be in awe about because Jay Herbo is the future. And he's going to have a nice little tenure in, in, in Los Angeles. But I do think coaching has to be a little bit, you know, ruffled up a little bit. Because a lot of, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, a lot of boneheaded decisions by the coaching staff. Whether it's OCDC or the override or veto of the head coach. But it's going to be interesting. But I had them winning in the FC. I'm ashamed to even talk about my take for this AFC <laughs> This pick is so funny. This, has been the, this is definitely the coldest take I've had ever. I had the Colts not only winning the AFC... But winning it all, <laughs> they ended up finishing four twelve and one, and everything went wrong for them. But on paper, they looked good. They were they were good last year with Carson Wentz. They if they didn't choke towards the end of the year, they would have been in the playoffs. I thought Matt Ryan would have made Michael Pittman break out. I thought he would have had a Pro Bowl season. They J- Jonathan Taylor, if he stayed healthy, I thought he would have been that same offensive player of the year, like you predicted. Yeah. Didn't stay healthy. O line got banged up, um, and their D line was it was solid, but it wasn't nearly as good as it was last year. And their best defensive player, Shaq Leonard, wasn't healthy like at all this year. Yeah, and their secondary it just wasn't good. And everything that went wrong for Indiana, like that possibly could have went wrong, it did. It did. Frank Wright got canned. Jeff Saturday, mediocre. Who somehow got ahead. Not even mediocre. He was just terrible. Yeah, he won his first game. Lost seven in a row since then. And to cap it all off, they lost to the Texans end of the year. That's just like the icing on the dumpster cake that was the Indianapolis Colts this year. And they need to actually draft a quarterback this year, which they should. They'll probably get CJ Stroud in the draft, which is a great pick. because these little because these these short um, one two year deals at quarterbacks aren't going to work. They haven't had continuity since Andrew Luck. They've and had a bit of a quarterback curse. Bit is an understatement. That's an understatement. But the thing about the Colts is like. I understood your pick at the time because if you look at that roster on paper, it's They're insane. Good. Shaq Barrett, uh, what is DeForest Buckner, Quiddy Pay. Uh, you have so many guys. You have the emergence of Zaire Franklin, who's now the captain on the defensive yeah. side. He used to be a special teams guy. Stephon Gilmore. That team, from a receiving perspective, is decent. Michael Pittman. Uh, who else? Damn. A Paris Campbell, their rookie that's emerging, that 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 Al white Pierce, dude, J- yeah, JT's still there, and Matt Ryan. Sure, he was a bit washed, but like he would hold it down a little bit, and that line was good. Quentin Nelson and the rest of that squad, and Jonathan Taylor. But everything that could have went wrong went wrong, 
and it's kind of embarrassing to see, but I wish the Colts luck. I love playing uh, with the Colts and face the franchise, so hopefully they figure something out in the draft thing, but I understood your pick at the time. Yeah, it was a very shameful pick, but uh, I, I've always been a little supporter of the Colts, so hopefully they can find some uh, continuity. Moving on to the last segment of the show, I want to talk a little bit about the quarterback carousel that's going to inevitably happen. And I want to talk about... Um, I actually want to talk about four different quarterbacks. I want to talk about three, but we're going to move to four. So the first guy I want to talk about, Derek Carr. Raiders quarterback for the past nine years. Recently uh, posted on Instagram a goodbye to the Raiders. So he's either going to get cut or traded. If he can't get traded um, a few days after the Super Bowl, he's going to get cut. And I think um, I think there is one spot that would make all too much sense for uh, Mr. Derek Carr. What's that, Ben? What's that spot? <laughs> so Derek Carr, if when he if he goes to any team, I think it'll be my New York Jets. And I think this makes perfect sense for both parties. Um, the Jets are the definition of a team that's truly a quarterback away. They have the they had a top three defense in football. They gave eighteen points a game. But you're not going to win games if you score 17 points a game, which is what they averaged. And what, they've played four quarterbacks here. Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, Mike White, Chris Trevler. They've been... Mike White was okay. Zach Wilson was ass. Chris Trevler played two quarters. That doesn't count. And Joe Flacco was solid. He was good in the Cleveland game. That was really it. And the Jets have... They're the definition of lacking continuity at quarterback. They haven't had a 4,000-yard passer since Joe Namath. Back in 1960-whatever. And Derek Carr, he can, he, he'll he pass for 4,000 yards almost every season. He was going to do it this season if he He's did. had a couple of those. And he's also had several 4,000-yard seasons that had 10, le- like 10 or less reception, uh, interceptions, too. Yeah. Like, he's crazy. Like, he's had some good statistical seasons. Yeah, he's a three-time Pro Bowler. He he'd, he'll be easily the most talented quarterback since um, the Jets had 11 games of Brett Favre back in 2008. And I think... Um, yeah, I think this team is a quarterback away. I think Derek Carr will really elevate the game. If I think he'll make Garrett Wilson. I think Derek, Garrett Wilson will be a top 10 receiver with Carr. I think with Derek Carr, um, I think the Jets... I know this is kind of a weird thing to say, but I'll explain. I think they're in a they're a baby San Fran. Hear me out. They're a young, Makes sense. They're a young team that has drafted super well. Your head coach has created this environment for them it's very healthy whatever but the only position that you're truly lacking is the center of it all it's the it's the quarterback position now granted san fran everybody in their quarterback room could just work there but here you got to figure that out because you have Brees hall who's going to come back you have garrett wilson you have an, you have good defensive guys your line is getting better you're creating a complete team and i mentioned this before ben before the podcast i rather a team that lacks a quarterback and has everything else then has a quarterback and lacks everything else, you know? So that's the thing. It's very difficult. But if Derek Carr, I think, would do awesome in New York because he would make everybody around him better and he would just elevate your offense to another level because we've seen your Jets this season. What, what was that against? What was the Pats where you had like a yard and a half? Like He averaged about two inches every uh Two inches every play, which isn't a lot. That That isn't a lot at all, okay? Some guys think it's average, but it's not a lot. Let's, not. Be, let's be real, Benjamin. The thing about it, it's very difficult. I think Derek Carr would absolutely look good in green. Here's the thing, though. Devontae Adams came to the Raiders for Derek Carr. If they move on from him, does Devontae follow? 
I mean, let's I mean, let's let's play some hypotheticals. Because if he follows, dog. So listen, I'll buy you a Devontae Adams jersey. So let's let's get into hypotheticals. The only way for Adams to go anywhere is trade. And I think Derek Carr at this point is more likely to get cut than traded because he has a no trade clause. He can choose where he wants to go. Yeah, he gets cut. They still pay him, so it's fine. And he's a free agent. He goes wherever he wants. Yeah, he'll go wherever he wants. So I think Carr will get cut. But in the event he does get traded and if Adams does fall along with him, that would have to be it would have to be a very insane package. It would probably consist of a fir- probably two firsts as well as Zach Wilson and another receiver, which is which is solid. I think um, I would probably I would most likely do. But both these guys are over thirty years old, and you're gonna have to wonder how long could these guys stay playing at a high level. But for me, realistically, I think. I don't think we really necessarily need Devontae Adams because the wide receiver core is already very solid. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think Derek Carr, the team is literally quarterback away. And losing Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Makai Becton did not help the team at all this year. Once B- Vera Tucker and um, Brees Hall went down, the wheels fell off the engine. They were 5-2 and two when that happened. They went 2-8 well, they went two and eight since. It was clear like those were the engines of the offense. So I think, I think um, the thing with the Jets is that once teams started figuring out that they can't pass the ball, they started zoning on the run. They went from averaging probably like four or five yards to carry to averaging two yards to carry. Mm. And with Derek Carr, who's a respectable passer, teams can lay up, can actually back up a little bit, and then they can get the run game going, which makes the offense better as a whole. So I think Derek Carr to the Jets just makes too much sense. There are other teams that can use Derek Carr's services, like um, the Washington football team, and even though this is not going to happen, or it shouldn't happen, the Colts could obviously use his services. Mm. Or even a team like Tampa Bay, up to when Tom Brady retires, Derek Carr could be a solid placeholder for the next guy. Yeah, but. I think the Jets are a perfect spot because, like you mentioned, all those other teams, Colts. I think they're tired of just picking up the old guy. They want to find another franchise guy. Um, the Buccaneers. I don't know. Tom. Tom is divorced right now. Tom is a free man, so he can he can play till he's fifty. So we don't really know where he's lined up at. But I think the Jets are a perfect place for him. It just makes too much sense, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, now, another um, quarterback on the market. Um, Which we mentioned before. What the hell is going on with Lamar Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Like I mentioned, I don't even know how, how many minutes ago at this point. I've loved this episode thus far. Thank you very much, Ben. But I, it's interesting because, like I said before, the guy's averaging five missed games a season. His play style is not sustainable for long. As you get up there in age, you got to stop moving around. And this league, you get hit. And But when he's healthy, though, he is a sight to see, an immense talent, one of my favorite quarterbacks to, to watch and to play with in Madden. He's awesome. Awesome. But I'm going to get into the shoes of Lamar real quick. I'm going to get into the shoes of Lamar real quick. Ben, if you, do, if you don't mind, let's play Baltimore, right? You're going to play Baltimore. I'll be Lamar. All right. Mr. Baltimore, hardball. Owner, whatever. I want this money. And what did you say to me? Nope. Nope. Not getting that money. Nope. Lamar knows his worth. His He's worth the barn and the farm, like I said before. He's worth it all. But is Baltimore willing to take the risk on a guy like this who will miss games? It's guaranteed. He's, not gonna, he's never going to have a complete season in his career. He's always going to miss a game. Whether it's a tweaked ankle or a torn ACL, whatever. Are they going to bank on a guy that's going to miss the games but could play football better than anybody else out here? That's the big, big question about it. And, oh, wait, you know what, Ben? Scroll up. Maybe we could play this video. We'll see. So we'll have a video here. Let's max out the volume. Let's see what Jim Harbaugh says here. Play that video, Ben. 
Yeah, but it's, it's going to be a number, you know, days to weeks. We'll see. We'll see if he can go back this week. If not, it'll be sometime after that shortly. He's been through the MRIs, and uh, I would say it's kind of week to week. You know, it's going to be a weekly thing. So uh, as the week goes on, we'll see for this week. It's probably less likely for this week, but it's not impossible. Um, and then after that, it'll become more and more likely. I mean, are you so optimistic, whether it's this week or not, that he is going to be able to come back at some point this year? Sure. Of course. All right, the thing about this clip, right, Jim, for some context here, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, Jim Harbaugh is discussing over the last month the Lamar Jackson situation about his injury, right? As we all know, his injury when he got it was nothing minor. It was supposed to be a one to three week injury. Nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. He suffered this injury at the end of November, right after good old Thanksgiving. Maybe, maybe he ate too much turkey and he tripped a little bit. Who knows? Who knows? But I think there's a chemistry issue in Baltimore. He's not d- describing or discretion or having this urge to play for Baltimore ever since he was refused or declined that pay grade. And it's very, very interesting that he's, he came out later through a tweet. What does this say here, Ben? Oh my goodness. So apparently, um, apparently Lamar Jackson, he hasn't even been showing up for treatment of his injury. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. Oh my goodness! So that that just that just kind of proves the point. There is a conflict of interest and a in a, a discrepancy here. But then again, if I'm Lamar, I was refused the payday. They don't sur- surround me with receivers I want or weapons I want, so I have to do it all. And he does it all, but at what cost? His body is on the line day to day and out, and Baltimore is not providing him with the weapons that he needs. And I love Lamar Jackson. I love Harbaugh, but those are the only things in Baltimore that's working right now. And I think one's gonna go. And I think Lamar. I think is, it's gonna be Lamar. I, I think it's Lamar. I think it's Lamar. I think it's Lamar. And the thing about Lamar, it's like, what are you willing to give up for him? Because the guy is worth everything. Lamar Jackson is gonna. De- it's gonna be at least what you give for Deshaun Watson. And to put it into context, Deshaun Watson, it went for a haul. First of all, let's not. We're not even gonna talk about the compensation. He was given two hundred thirty million dollars. Guaranteed, all guaranteed over five years. Jeez, all that bread, and not and not only that, the Browns sent three first round picks, as well as a third and a fourth, along with all that money, and it hasn't worked out thus far this season. I just think that I want Lamar in a good situation because I want to see him in winning cultures. I want to see him in the playoffs, making deep runs. But Baltimore, there's there's got there's something going on here. And I think ever since that moment he wasn't paid, I think that was the final card in the house of cards that Baltimore built, and it fell down. Because in the past, there has been discrepancies. He's wanted receivers. What's the best receivers they provided for him? Um, let's think of, well, the best, they don't even have any receivers that are notable. Their best weapon, Mark Andrews, who, yeah. was, who was amazing last season. He was the best tight end in football last year. But this year he hasn't done anything. Yeah, He had a hot start to the year, but ever since then he's done nothing. But if we're talking receivers... John Brown, that's your, that, that's the that's the best guys you've provided Lamar Jackson. Those are minor things, you know. Aaron Rodgers had those trifles, you know. The organization is not really giving you what you want because there's so many things that go into an organization: a 53 man roster, 70 whatever guys preseason. But I think not giving him the money he wanted was the final nail in the coffin for causing this disconnect in Baltimore. But the thing is, a what team would want him, which is every team. That's fine. B what team can afford him. 
I have, for me, I got two teams. One of them is a very familiar name that we just mentioned. Okay. And actually, two division rivals who were neck and neck in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes back in 2021. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the Jets and the Dolphins. Ooh. I can You see, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna talk about Miami first. I feel like Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins ownership isn't content with Tua. Okay. Because Tua's had a solid season statistically, but he's had some bone he does have some boneheaded throws. We and now that. he's three concussions deep, which could be a serious concern for the future. Yeah, not just for his career, for his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tua, there's a chance he could retire if he has another major injury like that. And Steven Ross, he he's the type of guy to go all in on a quarterback. And with weapons like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, you want someone who's equally of that caliber. Right? That's why I think he would swing for the fences for Lamar Jackson, which is um which makes sense because Miami does have draft capital from the San Franchise. They could theoretically throw into a tag of Eloa. And they have a couple of players they could ship too. Yeah, they do. Some defense players, some offensive players, I think. Um, and they're going to be willing to give him that contract because Miami is definitely in win-now mode. And Miami has a stellar offense that if you just plug and play Lamar, holy balls. Imagine trying to guard two of the fastest humans on the planet as well as the fastest quarterback Think about planet. this. Think about this for a second, right? You're up against Lamar, right? So one of your linebackers is already in QB spy mode, right? you got to watch out for those big runs. Tyreek Hill, no one can catch him. Jalen Waddle, no one can catch him. Don't forget him. Raheem Mostert. No one can catch him. Right. Mike Jasicki, too. You have an awesome tight end that's just going to be like the same kind of level of Mark Andrews production with with Lamar. Oh my gosh, that'd be crazy, man! And I would hate that in that AFC East. I would absolutely. Hate I think that. he would look good in lime green. He would or look turquoise teal, what, turquoise teal, white teal, a little whatever. orange. But he'd look good in Miami in, in Hard Rock. He would look good. You know who he'll look better in? He'll look brighter in stealth green. Yeah, <laughs> that's man. the one. So yesterday, Woody Johnson had his press conference and. You know, Woody Johnson, owner of the Jets. He's one of the worst owners in football, in my opinion. I despise Woody Johnson. But he said something that I actually agreed with. He said that he would be willing to go all in on a quarterback and spend anything it takes. Now, does that mean spending for Derek Carr? Yes. Does that mean maybe, for whatever stupid reason, give trying to give Zach Wilson even more help when he's had all the help in the world? Or Jimmy G. I don't get that. Or get Jimmy Garoppolo? Or does it mean you swing for the fences... You hit a home run like Aaron Judge did 62 times, 61 times yep. this past year, and get a quarterback like Lamar Jackson to have your team set up for the future. Now, the problem is the Jets, they're a lot more complete than they've been in previous years, but they still have some holes in the team. Yep. Tackle is a little bit of a hole. You're going to probably cut Corey Davis so you get another receiver. I think you still need to add a safety and maybe another D lineman. And if you give up many of those picks for Lamar, as well as a contract, you can be able to build around him. You're not going to be able to fill those gaps. You might be able to, but it's going to be less um, favorable pieces. But Lamar Jackson would elevate this Jets team so much. It would just make the team so fun to watch. Imagine imagine read options with Brees Hall and Lamar Jackson. That'd be kind of sexy, Ben. It'd be very, People would choke to MetLife not to watch the Giants, but Lamar Jackson. Exactly. But... The thing is, the Jets, I don't think they'll trade for Jackson personally. It's just going to be too much. But Stephen A. Smith, I don't, I usually hate what he has to say sometimes. Stephen A. is hilarious, but his takes on the Jets in particular, they they piss me off. But if he said if Lamar went to the Jets, they would make the AFC Championship game at least. A little bit, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I love the optimism. But all in all, I think, I think Lamar is going to play on the tag this year. 
which is going to be a very and it's going to be a very awkward season for I, Baltimore for both sides. I think that yeah, I think that's going to piss them off even more if there is this discrepancy. I don't know if these training sessions of rumored leaked whatever if he's missing them are legitimate or not because this is the internet after all whatever. But if there is a genuine division and somewhat of a divorce between Lamar and Baltimore, then he's got to go. And I think the team that can afford him and go for him without hurting their team too much is Miami. And I think that's the way to go. And I think the system that they're controlling right now and they're making, the gaps that they create for themselves, losing draft capital or players, they can quickly fill in by their schemes and their fits and their certain defensive stuff. So, But Lamar and Miami would go stupid. It would go stupid, and that would be terrifying for the rest of the league. And that AFC used to become a dogfight. If Carr goes to the Jets and Jackson goes to Miami... With the Patriots still being the Patriots, they somehow cranked out eight wins this year. Yeah, and I, think, I think they're going to get better too. I think they'll get better as well. Um, moving on to the third quarterback in this carousel, we have uh, Mr. Uh, Joe Rogan, uh, drug addict, uh, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, Aaron oh. Rodgers, he was, this has been a very interesting season for the Packers. They started off 4-8, and eight, managed to rattle off four straight wins to get themselves back into the playoff picture on the last game of the regular season. And the biggest moment of the year, the Packers did not show up against the Lions at home. Nope. Who's been their punching bag ever since the inception of these two squads. They didn't show up. Rodgers didn't play horrible, but he didn't play a great game either. And I'll have to say, shout out to Lions rookie safety Kirby Joseph. He owns Aaron Rodgers this year. Three picks on him this year. Mm-hmm. And the, the future in Green Bay is very murky. Tyler, what are your thoughts on what Aaron Rodgers and the Packers do from here? First and foremost, if he returns, they're going to pay him nearly $60 million. So that's 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 a lot of money. That's saying something. It's a lot of money. Aaron Rodgers has been one of my favorite quarterbacks to ever watch this game. And it's funny saying that from a Dallas fan because he's killed my team before in the playoffs and several and so on and so forth. He's an immense talent. But he's somewhat of a diva. I think he gets in his head he's a little bit. He's very arrogant. Yes. He, 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 he wants too much and puts out too little at times. And... It's also difficult because the team itself doesn't give him what he needs and or wants. We've been over this whole wide receiver debacle and certain pieces and whatnot. It's it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. Um, obviously, he has all the money in the world. You know, he, got, he signed that big fatty extension with the Packers. So that's where that money's coming from. But that team isn't bad. I think they just need... Some somebody to come in, whether it's a player, coach, or somewhere in between, to just kind of shake things up. I think a big thing that's going to help him return, if he does, is the emergence of his rookie wide receiver. I think Scott what, Watson, right? Christian Watson. Christian Watson. Thank you. I get him up. I get him mixed up with Sky Moore from Kansas City for some reason. The thing about him, right, is his emergence late to just collect all these touchdowns, collect all these passes. That might be an incentive for Aaron Rodgers to run it back, you know? Yeah. He, he likes his receiver or whatever, but I think the rest of the team needs to be more complete. Aaron Jones is kind of on a little bit of a decline. Yeah, He's not but AJ pre- Dillon is also a little bit on an upswing. So it's going to be a yeah. little, there's going to be a change in the splits between these running backs. Yeah, so the running back room is interesting. It's kind of pushing a Dallas territory of I can split snaps and have different like jobs for people. Um, but the rest of the wide receiving core is pretty weak. Alan Lazard is... He's going to... He's He he basically declared that he was going to leave the Packers this yeah, season. Yeah, he's he's out. Um, Robert, Robert Tunyon has decent production, but they have to get him more involved. 
The defense is spotty. Sometimes they get burnt on it's big balls. It's played very well recently, especially against the Vikings. Oh, no. Vikings, they did really They played well. amazing. Jair Alexander played a stellar game. Yeah, he shut down. Jay, and he was doing the gritty on him after. Oh, my goodness. But that's not a regular occurrence in Green Bay. Like, if you have a stellar game, there's seven... Well, how many weeks of football? Seven, 17, 17 played games. weeks. Yeah, 18 weeks of football, 17 played games, right? If I have three really good weeks, Ben, am I a good player? And the rest are, like, mediocre. Am I a really good player? Mm. No. That's the thing. And a lot of players on this Packers squad have that kind of thing. You know, they have, like, this really, really awesome week. Mediocre, mediocre. Really awesome week. Really, and they want consistency. That's what Aaron Rodgers wants. And if they can't commit to that, I can see him walking away. But I don't see him retiring. I think he still has a love for this game. That's comparable to Tom Brady and Michael Jordan and all these other guys. The insanity of the great athletes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's these guys have this love for the game that, I mean, I can comprehend to some degree because I love certain things in my life. I love my family. I love my boy Ben. I love my dog. I mm-hmm. love movies. But I don't love these guys. How they love football. It's a different level of like. They, Aaron Rodgers hasn't started family. He, he could have started a family by now. He has avoided all those things because Aaron Rodgers doesn't care about family football he, is he loves the gridiron and i feel like retirement wouldn't he he that doesn't sit well for him so i i just know one thing for sure he's going to be playing football within the next two years i don't know if it's going to be with the packers i think that goes one of three ways man he returns gets paid 60 million dollars they do whatever he wants maybe he leaves after he retires gets tired of retirement comes back for whatever team that wants him or he moves on just period, trade, or whatever it is. I don't know the, the intricacies of his contract because it was an extension. So that's the thing. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know he loves this game like Tom Brady loves this game, and I don't see him walking away forever from this game. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he calls it a career yet. I think um, – I, I know people can definitely see it that way, but I don't think Rodgers is going to retire. He's still playing at a very high level, and he's still proven capable to do that. Um. Where he gets traded to is a big question, though. If he does this, if he does get moved, does he go to it? It would be really funny if he got traded to a team like Las Vegas and got reunited with uh, Devonte Adams. But I think they kind of mutually missed each other. Aaron Rodgers missed him a little bit more, though. It's like that, you know, that uh, episode where SpongeBob goes to work at the Chum Bucket. Yeah, it's like it's like that kind of mutual uh, love for each other. But the thing is, what teams can care can like. What teams can actually like handle his contract? Because he's going to be making sixty million dollars next year. Oh my goodness, Ben! So he next year, if he comes back, he's going to make fifty nine million five hundred fifteen thousand dollars, and he has the extension till twenty twenty six. And by twenty twenty six, when he's forty three years old, he'll have a cap hit of fifty three million dollars. It's a lot of moolah, Ben. That's a lot of paper. And how many teams can handle that? Not a lot. Not, not, not a lot of teams that are in the position to get Aaron Rodgers. Not many. But a team, especially a complete team that gets Aaron Rodgers, that'd be pretty cool. You know, I I keep saying the New York Jets, and I know they're not going to pick Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, but it's you could afford him. It could, and it's and another Hall of Fame quarterback by the name by the name of Brett Favre, who was on the Packers, that trade was traded to the Jets about fifteen years ago. That was only for a fourth-round pick, though. Aaron Rodgers is going for more than a fourth. He's going for at least a first. Oh, because Brett Favre's production back then was subpar, but like Aaron Rodgers is still playing like Aaron Rodgers. He's yeah, still the he, gunslinger. He's still that guy. But 
where Aaron Rodgers can get traded to is very murky. It's gonna have to be a it's gonna be if a team that's like literally the quarterback away and doesn't really care about the wit doesn't care about longevity. If money wasn't an issue and he wasn't getting a fatty contract, I would love to see him in San Fran. I would love to see him in San Fran too, and it made sense. But you got Lance and Purdy in San Francisco. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think that would happen. Another interesting area would have been uh Tennessee. Because Tennessee doesn't have a consistent quarterback. Tannehill is not that guy. Josh Jobs, we saw is not And I that think guy. he would be able to coach up Malik Willis really well. Because I love Malik Willis, but they're, like he's not there yet. But also, that team is worse than the Packers. Like, on, it is. Like, yeah, like, sure, I can hand it off to Derrick Henry, but the wide receiving core is whack. Wide receiving core is whack, but I think he would make guys like Traylon Burks and Robert Woods better. Well, anybody who plays for Aaron Rodgers, you look good. Alan Lazard looked good for periods of time, but he's not a good wide receiver. That's true. That's fair. Yeah. But I think the most... I, I think also I'm going to throw in a last final quarterback here because I think he is a free agent. Let me just check right I here. I think I know who you're going with. I think yeah. He, yep. Yep, Ben. Ben, how do you feel about Tom Brady, th- like this off season? I I just I don't even want him to be. I just want him to be gone. I don't even want him to retire. I feel like if he gets smacked by the Cowboys, it, that shows that it's time to go. But Tom Brady has a more insatiable lust for football than any human being alive. Tom Brady could have retired five years ago. Yeah, but he's forty five, going on forty six, still looking to play the game, and. Uh, Wherever he goes, it's going to be a one-year deal. $15 million, that's it. Not It's not that much money. It's not like Aaron Rodgers. And Brady is not as talented as Rodgers is right now. But, but there's going to be teams that will be vying for services. And someone who I think will who would get one of them, Patriots. You think I, a, reu- a reunite? I could see a re- I could see them reuniting for one season. I could see Brady going back to New England and mentoring Mac Jones a little bit and then Mac goes back to start. But I also but Belichick and Brady do have a hate for each other. That's the thing. I think if I'm Tom Brady, I I try my damnedest to go to San Fran. Because here's the thing, even if I spend a year there, that's a year I can teach Trey Lance Brock Purdy cuz Jimmy G's walking. And yeah. Jimmy G is being paid more money than Tom Brady is now, right? So like bro, that's that's a cheaper deal for him, right? Mm-hmm. I can go home that's his home. He's been want. He's a he's a 49ers fan. When he versus the 49ers, he's taking pictures of the arena and all the jerseys of that. He he's a 49ers fan, and I think it would be poetic for him to go there next year, teach those guys how to play quarterback, be 20 minutes away from his dad's house. I think that'd be cool for him to go there. It would be really cool. Another spot that I would hate to see him go, and this team pursued him earlier and got stripped of a pick because of it. Miami Dolphins. Mm. Once again, if they don't think two is the answer, I could totally see Steven Ross going in on Tom Brady. He tried doing that before. Didn't work out. Tried getting him and Sean Payton, actually, which didn't, didn't work out. I think, personally, if I'm Miami, I don't go for Tom because I have, like, two young of stars. I think Lamar's a better option there. I agree. And one, uh, one another spot who I, that I think Tom Brady can go to, but this is fully contingent on if Sean Payton comes back to coach. If Payton, for whatever reason, goes back to coach the Saints, I could see the Saints getting Tom Brady. Because that roster is also ready to win now. Michael Thomas isn't getting any younger. Alvin Kamara's not getting any younger. Your line's not getting younger. Your defense isn't getting any younger. They're still they're still a talented team. They managed to squeak out seven seven wins this year. Yeah. But stability at quarterback, you didn't have that with uh, Dalton and uh, Winston. And definitely not Taysom Hill. 
and they didn't they haven't had stability since Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. And I think the Saints would automatically win the NFC South if they had Tom Brady at quarterback. And obviously if you're playing Tom Brady in the playoffs, you're gonna it's gonna be scary. But I would love to see Tom Brady go to the Saints. That would be a really fun team to see. And that's the only team that really has his number. Like, every time he plays him, he just plays horrible. So, might as well, can't beat him, join him, kind of. Exactly. And, you know, they love to party up in uh, in uh, NOLA as well, not just Tampa Bay. You got Mardi Gras down there. Yeah, I just think I think it'd be poetic for him to go to San Fran, go back home, where his love for football started watching the 49ers to play for them, and also be in a situation where you're on the best roster in the NFL. And exactly. he'll have no excuses, obviously, naturally, because his team is awesome, but... I think that'd be pretty cool for him because I think the Buccaneers on the downfall, they're going to go into a rebuild really quickly. They should. It's going to be it's going to happen after this year, in my opinion. I don't think Brady goes back to the Bucs. Whether he retires or goes to another team, I think Tom Brady is a Buccaneers done. Mm-hmm. Understood. Yeah. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Sports Inventory. I know it's been a minute since we've been on, but we'll be back for weekly episodes. We're getting back into the swing of things. Of course. It's, been, it's a hot spot in sports right now with... Um, the NFL playoffs, the NBA midseason point, even hockey happening a little bit. There's still a little bit of free agency signings happening in the MLB. But until then, we'll see you guys later. I'm Ben Kuchapudi. I'm Ty the Iceman Graham. Catch you later, fellas. Peace out, boys.